We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Peak City Church, welcome. My name is Taylor. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. What a morning it's already been. We got people walking across the stage, holding pieces of cardboard, telling the church, Jesus is changing my life in this way, and it is incredible. Oh my gosh, that's why I'm excited about Rooted. That's why I'm excited about Rooted. And so it all started with, it was, it was a while ago, talking with some friends across the country at some other churches. They're like, hey, Taylor, you gotta do this thing called Rooted. Let me tell you about it. And so all these stories that I was hearing about Rooted. So I go and I'm talking to Pete, I'm like, hey, Rooted, let's do it. He says, all right, first let's just start it as a staff. So our entire staff went through Rooted together. I'm thinking, you know, staff, we got this. We know who Jesus is. Man, I'm telling you, Rooted was changing. Rooted was a tool to have Jesus come in and change our life. Rooted, Rooted was helping us get closer to Jesus. Rooted was used in a big way to where we were serving together, we were, we were talking together, man, we were crying together, laughing together, it was incredible. So then it's like, all right, let's take the next step to open this up to the church, okay? So the next step was, let's pick out some key leaders in the church and let's do some pilot groups and we'll all go through Rooted together. And that's what you just saw. Those people that were just walking across, those were some people that were chosen for these pilot groups where we were working out the kinks Getting things ready so now we can launch Rooted to you, the whole entire church, all right? And that's why we're excited this morning about it. And so let me tell you exactly what Rooted is. Let me give you just a little bit of expectations so you know what it is. We call it a Rooted experience, okay? It's not a Bible study. We're not against Bible studies. We do that a lot around here. But we call it a Rooted experience because Bible studies study how Jesus did things. Whereas rooted, we want to do things how Jesus did them. All right? We want to get in our everyday rhythm of life. And what we've seen is transformation that takes place over time. All right? How Jesus prayed together, how Jesus did things with other people, interacted with them. That's what, that's what we want to do as an entire church together. And so, rooted is 10 weeks long. When I say 10 weeks, I know some of you are thinking, 10 weeks? That's it? Man, I wish it were longer. And you think I'm joking, but actually there are some groups of Rooted that when they went through Rooted, they're like, man, I don't want to break up. I want to keep going. Please don't make us break up. We are breaking them up because we're like, hey, listen, you can't stay together anymore. We have to launch Rooted together, and you have to help us lead through it. So the pilot groups, we're breaking them up. Now, some other ones, some, other, some others of you are like, man, 10 weeks? Are you kidding me? That is way too long to commit to something. I was in your shoes. I'm thinking, when we're doing this as a staff, 10 weeks? That is a really long time. But I'm telling you what we got from it. The commitment, I'm telling you, the community, serving together, what we got from that, worth it, totally worth it. I'm telling you, the proof is in the pudding. Petey was in the same boat. I was in the same boat. We're thinking, oh my gosh, but I'm telling you, man, it is so worth it. And the good news is you have plenty of time to clear your schedule because this is going to start in January. All right, it's going to start in January. And here's, here's what I want you to do. After the service, walk out those doors, 
Go to the donut walls that you've already visited and had a few donuts. Have a few more donuts and then sign up for Rooted this time. It is gonna be worth it. But that's, that is what I want you to do after this. It is completely worth it. Now, before we go any further, we gotta take a time out. This weekend was Veterans Day weekend, is Veterans Day weekend. And so if you are here today, man, I, we as a church, we wanna honor you. If you are a veteran, please stand up. Stand up in your seats. If, if you have served in the military, stand up. On behalf of Peak City Church, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the sacrifice and devotion that you guys have made. The longer I've been in Colorado Springs, the more I realize, man, just the sacrifice you and your families have made. So thank you very much. You can go and grab a seat. Veterans. In fact, you guys are going to love today's message because it is all about sacrifice and devotion, which is what you guys have already lived out. Not too long ago, PD said, all right, Taylor, November 12th, we're going to launch Rooted. I said, Rooted, yeah, that's great. Great idea, PD. Rooted, November 12th. He said, we're going to talk about discipleship. Discipleship, Rooted, November 12th. Got it, yeah, yeah. He says, and I want you to do it. I said, all right, all right, I'll do it, I'll do it. But inside, I'm thinking, Petey, why are you doing this to me? Listen, I'm only up on stage a few times a year. When I get up on stage, I was more like, what's up everybody, bing, bang, boom, Jesus loves you, now let's go home. I don't need to be, I don't need the pressure of talking about discipleship. People sacrificing and surrendering. I don't wanna go up there and talk about these hard things, let's just chill, but not only that, you want me to do that and then ask people to sign up for this tool that will help them do that, uh, that will help people do that on a regular daily basis. So yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun, Petey. Thank you very much. Nice doing business with you. But here we are. See, I remember playing basketball and I just, I just always loved to chill out. I just always loved to chill out. Never, never wanted to put in the hard work. I remember one day we uh, won the game. The coach was like, all right, tomorrow's practice is gonna be fun. Just come and chill. I'm like, all right, it's gonna be an awesome practice. So we're sitting in the locker room, we're putting our shoes on, getting our gear ready, and the coach walks in. He says, boys, lace them up tight. And then he left. And I looked at our teammates, I'm thinking, what did that fool just say? He said, lace them up tight. And we all knew what that meant. That meant practice was gonna suck. That meant that we were going to be blowing chunks. That meant that, it was, that we're going to have to be making sacrifices. And that's exactly what we did. And practice was brutal. And that's what I was thinking about today's message. Why challenge people to do hard things? Why do it? Life is already hard enough. Let's just chill, bing, bang, boom. I mean, being a disciple is hard. Why is it that when you read this Bible, why is it that Jesus doesn't say, undo those laces, just chill out, it's all good? He doesn't. He doesn't. And here's the thing. When he talks about being a disciple is tough, he's talking about that to everyone. Everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus, not just 
the super Christians who can pray real good. It's every single one of us that has placed our faith in Jesus. And the reason why it's so important for us to talk about is because that our culture typically treats following Jesus and going to church as something very casual. Oh, you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, you go to church, that's great, good for you. Oh, you don't go to church, you're not a Christian, that's great, good for you, no pressure. I don't wanna pressure you into anything. It's all good, baby. But Jesus calls us to something more. Jesus sets the bar high for what it means to follow him, and he says it to everyone. Let me tell you what I mean. Today we're going to be in Luke 14, starting in verse 25. So if you have a Bible, if you've got a device, open them up to Luke 14. If not, the words will be up on the screen. But this, the, the title of this passage is The Cost of Being a Disciple. And just so we're on the same page, when I say disciple, I'm talking about someone who follows Jesus. And we're about to look at what following Him really looks like. So if you're ready, say, lace them up tight. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, and here we have Jesus with a bunch of people following him. Now, I know if I got a bunch of people like, like you guys, what I want to do is I want to tickle your ears. I want to say, I, I just want you to be happy so that way you'll come back next week. Do you think Jesus cared about tickling people's ears? Do you think he cared? No. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said. He don't care about no ear tickling. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? Jesus, you've got all these people around you listening to what you have to say, and that's the best you can come up with? Are you kidding me? Jesus, why would you say that? I, I'm just thinking, Jesus, my wife, Allison, I love her. I can't hate her. My sons, Eli and Jack, I love them. I can't hate them. My own life? What are you saying, Jesus? What Jesus is saying here is he's, he, he's saying he wants you to put him so far ahead of everybody else that it's not even a competition. There is no competition between him and other people. See, in Jesus' day, in certain parts of the world, even today, Following Jesus meant choosing him over choosing your family. I, I remember I worked at a church in Ohio. And in Ohio, we had a church van. It was the big white van, the same white van that when you tell your kids to watch out, like if, if you have kids, you're like, you see that white van coming? You run home. That's our church van. We drove into an apartment complex on Wednesday nights. Kids, they'd be running out of their apartment, piling into the white church van, and we take him to church. And I just remember there was this one kid. His name's not Mike, but we're going to call him Mike. I remember Mike. He come in. I remember on Wednesdays, it started clicking. He started understanding who Jesus was. And, 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 it, and he started talking and asking questions about him more and more. And then next Wednesday night came. We came back to the church van, me and Todd, back to the apartment complex. And then everybody was piling into the church van. But Mike was nowhere to be found. We're like, where's Mike? What's up, man? Where's Mike? And then we go over there, and we see Mike. He's standing in front of his apartment. I was like, Mike, you coming? He's like, no, man, I'm not coming. I said, what? What's up? He said, my dad said I can't be bringing that Jesus stuff home anymore. So I'm not, I'm just going to stay back. 
I'm just going to stay back because I don't want my dad to get mad. See, that's a hard thing. Would you be willing to put Jesus in front of your parents? Would you be willing to put Jesus in front of your spouse, in front of your kids? Would you be willing to do that? See, that is nothing compared to other places in the world. In the Middle East, you put your faith in Jesus, man, you're out the family, you're excommunicated, you're on your own, you are being persecuted. We don't think much about that verse here, but this verse means everything to so many people around the world. Jesus, he sets the bar high. He sets the bar high. He could have said, if your family doesn't agree with you, that's cool. Just play the long game. Keep your faith low key. But he didn't say it. He set the bar high. Let's keep going. Verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Thousands of criminals were crucified. It was a normal thing to see somebody, if convicted of a crime, they'd be carrying their cross up to the top of a mountain, and they were crucified there if they were convicted of a crime. You see, picture this. Like, like I just think, like, when he says, carry their cross, he's talking about people have their own path of surrender. You could lose your job lose your reputation, lose your friends, lose your families? Are you willing to give up the comforts of your life to follow Jesus? Is there something you're like, man, I'd follow Jesus. I put him so far above everything else, but except for this, except for this. See, he sets the bar high. He could have said, there's nothing wrong with those comforts. I don't need them anyways. I'm God. I got everything. You just enjoy your life. I made the sacrifice so you can play it safe. But he didn't say that. He set the bar high. I want you to picture this. What if you're with Jesus, and this afternoon, he says, hey, this afternoon, I'm walking up to Pulpit Rock. I'm going to carry my cross, and that's where I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be whipped, I'm going to be spat on, I'm going to be mocked, and then I'm going to get nailed to a cross, and that's where I'm going to die. And I want you to do that alongside with me. I want you to carry your cross and go through the same thing that I'm going through. Would you be willing to do that? See, Jesus is saying if you're going to be his disciple, you got to be all in. He's saying you got to surrender everything to him. you got to surrender your life to him. So I've got two boys, a sixth grader and a fourth grader. So the sixth grader is in middle school, and it was about last year in this time, about last year this time when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a middle schooler. That's where all the crazy things happen. All the craziness happens in middle school. They're like, all right, so I got to get my life straight, and I'm going to start being intentional when it comes to discipling my boy. So I'm like, all right, this is what I want to do. So I sat down with Jesus, and we started writing down together, and I said, all right, this is what I want him to look like when he's 18 and he leaves the house. These are the skills I want him to have. Here are the experiences I want him to have, knowledge I want him to have about Jesus, about the world. And then after I wrote all that down, reverse engineer it, we planned out the next few years together, and it was time to kick off this intentional discipleship journey with a trip. And at the time, his favorite team was the Los Angeles Rams. So off to LA we went because my friend had some free Rams tickets and I was gonna use them. And so we went there. And if anybody knows me and my wife, you know, that this was just as much of an experience for me to grow up and turn into a man as it was for Eli to grow up. Because whenever we go on a trip together, she's the one who's planning out all the details, she's doing all the Ubering, and I'll tell you, 
After a Rams game, it is impossible to get an Uber. The thing is bottlenecked, all right? And so I'm, I'm sitting there, no one's getting in, no one's getting out. I'm trying to call an Uber. After like the sixth or seventh one that canceled on me, Eli's looking up at me for, for a little reassurance. I'm like, don't worry, it's okay, we're all good. And I'm like sweating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we gotta get this Uber. Finally, somebody calls me, it's this young buck. He calls me and he goes, hey, listen, I just sent you my location. If you can get here in 60 seconds, then I'll wait for you. And in the background, I can hear a security guard yelling, you can't park here, you can't park here. And I said, we're going to be there. So I pick up Eli, and we're running through these homeless camps. We're running through fist fights. It was the Raiders against the Rams, man. It was crazy. And then we get there, and this guy, he's, he's holding the door, and he's going, get in, get in, get in. We jump in. The security guard's like, get out of here. And we got out of there, and it was awesome. It was intense, but it was so worth it. It was worth it because the next day, we were walking on the beach, we walked for miles on that beach, I felt like, just throwing the football to each other. We walked from one pier to the next. And finally, we sat down next to each other. And I was like, all right, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Jesus, guide this conversation. And I said, Eli, what do you think it means to surrender? He said, Dad, I think it means when you've got a white flag and you just wave it. You wave the white flag so the, so the other people that you're up against they come in and they take over and you gotta do what they say. It's no longer what you want, it's what they want. I said, Eli, you are exactly right. When you place your faith in Jesus, you're waving your white flag. It's no longer what you want, it's what Jesus wants. You are completely surrendered. Everything about you is surrendered to him. He set the bar high. See, talking about it is one thing. Being about it is another. Like, can we really take our wallets out and say, God, I want to surrender this to you. It's not what I want to use this money for, it's what you want. Can we take our minds and say, God, it's no longer what I want to think about or do, it's what you want me to think about and do. Can we really do that? He set the bar high. He set it high. He could have said, just give me your church attendance. Sing a few songs to me on Sunday. Be nice to people. Hold the door open for people. That's all I really need. He didn't say that. He set the bar high. He keeps going. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. This is the third cannot. He's doubling down here. This is not a game. You got to think it through, he's saying. I remember back home when I was little, back in Ohio, my mom would be driving the minivan, I'd be looking out the window, and I always see this mansion that was half built. I always think, what an idiot. How are you going to build a mansion and not finish it? Now I know. Now that I'm older, I know. Inflation will get you. But I can't, I can't believe that he didn't plan that out. He didn't think through the cost. In the same way Jesus is telling us, 
if we're going to stand here and we're going to raise our hands and we're going to sincerely say, Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. I want to follow you. But then you walk out those doors and life kicks you in the face and you realize, oh my gosh, life is hard. Following Jesus is tough and then you quit. See, there's a cost to following Jesus. When you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and wealthy. In fact, Jesus says the opposite. He said, life's going to be harder if you follow me. Life's going to be harder. Jesus wants to finish if you're going to start. He's not interested in you starting if you're not going to finish. He sets the bar high. He sets the bar high. He could have been like a used car salesman. What's it going to take to get you in this faith today? That's my used car salesman voice. What's it going to take to get you in this faith today? But he didn't say that. He didn't say, you can take your faith and put it up on the shelf because life is hard. When life gets hard, you put that faith up on a shelf, and then when life gets easier, you pick that faith up and you put that faith back on. He didn't say that. He sets the bar high. He sets it high. Then look at how he closes this out. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Jesus, what are you saying here? The, un the first three I think I understood, all right? I think I understood where you were going with this. But the, the, now, now you're talking about salt. What exactly are you saying? Why salt? This one actually might be the most impactful of them all. Because if you have salt, salt is, you know, it's, it's good, it's good for seasoning, but if it loses its saltiness, it's not good anymore. It's got to be thrown out. And we, and we can't throw it on the dirt. I mean, dirt is good. Dirt helps things grow. You can't throw useless salt on dirt. It'll ruin the dirt. You got manure. Manure is good. Manure fertilizes things. You can't take useless salt and throw it on manure. It'll ruin the manure. So what are we going to do with all this useless salt? I don't know what I'm going to do with this useless stuff. Now this is where we know Jesus is being serious. He sets the bar high and he's not backing down. Let's think about what he just said. Let's go back to the three cannots. He said, if you cannot forsake all others, if you cannot surrender your life, if you cannot count the cost. What Jesus is saying here is that if you can't do these things, then you cannot follow him. He's comparing someone who can't do those things to salt that is useless, and he's saying that he has no flavor, and he's saying that that person is useless. Useless. Now, hear me. I'm not saying you're worthless in God's eyes. I'm not even saying he doesn't love you, but I'm saying when it comes to the calling, that Jesus has on your life, he ain't messing around. He ain't messing around. I'm just a messenger, all right? So, so don't be upset with me. Jesus, this, this is what Jesus is saying. You have no effectiveness. I'm saying, Jesus, I want effectiveness. I want, the, I want to be that saltiness that lasts. But you're saying you wouldn't even know what to do with me? Now, this passage bothers me, okay? And it should bother you too. The reason that I know that this passage bothers me because it makes me cough. It makes me cough. Anytime something bothers me, anytime I'm nervous about something, I cough. It's like this weird thing that I can't stop doing. It's super annoying. 
So like in college, had a big test, coffin. Day I asked Allison to marry me, coffin. Day my kids were born, coffin. PD says, hey, preach on discipleship, coffin. So it's like this thing that I can't stop. I think, you know what? Maybe if I just don't think about it, I won't cough about it. Don't work, coughing. Can't stop coughing. But then, that's why I love my wife. Because she's like, Taylor, we're going to talk about it, okay? We're going to talk about it. We're going to understand the why. So you can understand exactly what's going on here. And, it, and it's super helpful. But I'm like, oh my gosh, we've got to do this again, Allison, seriously. But that's what I want to do this today. I want to do this today. I want us to look at this scripture, understand why Jesus set this bar so dang high. I can't even reach this bar. Jesus, you know I'm tall, but I can't jump. I can't reach that bar that you set so high. Why did you do it? Why should we even go for that bar? I mean, Jesus, you're being a little audacious here, I think. Some of the things that you're saying about yourself, isn't that a little audacious? What are you doing here? I mean, I just imagine. If I get up here, and I, this, this is me, Taylor, talking. If I said, all right, church, I want you to count the cost, I want you to carry the cross for me, and I want you to put me in front of everyone else, you would be trampling over each other to try and get out those doors. I'd be the first one out. I'd take myself by the back of the shirt, and I'd throw myself through those doors. I'm just a regular guy saying those things. So why can he say those things? Why does Jesus, what gives him the right to say those things? Who can say these things? God. Only God can say these things. And Jesus is God. Jesus declared that he was God. His early followers believed that he was God. And Jesus proved that he was God. And so when I have these thoughts, when I have these thoughts of like, Oh my goodness, like, why should I follow you? Why should I go for that bar that sits so high? Why should I do these things? I put myself in the shoes of the early followers, and I remember. I remember. It helps me remember these things. I think, oh my gosh, these early followers, they saw you alive. I saw you alive, Jesus. I saw, like, I could hug you and touch you, and I follow you from the beginning. Then, Jesus, I saw you dead. Have you ever seen a dead person? Have you ever seen somebody die? Especially somebody close to you. It messes with you. It's an image that you can't get out of your head, especially someone that you love so dearly and did life with. It's a tough thing to see. The disciples saw Jesus die in front of them. But then, three days later, what happened? He came back to life, and he showed up to the disciples. The disciples could hug him. They could touch him. They could take their fingers. They could put it in his nail-scarred hands. And when the disciples see this firsthand, they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, of course, of course I'll put you in front of everyone. Of course you have my supreme allegiance. I know I can't do these things, Jesus, but the power that rose you from the grave is the power that is in me. Now I know through you, Jesus, I can reach that high bar. This is why we see the disciples. Later on in scripture, while we see them risking it all. Because you know, early on, the disciples, they were like, oh, you know, you know what, like, I'm, I don't even know Jesus. When, when, when Jesus died on the cross, they even denied him. They went from like, I have to follow Jesus, now it's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to follow you, Jesus, because I've seen you alive now. I can't wait to do these things. Because the reason they knew how to do these things was because Jesus never sugarcoated anything. 
He didn't care who was around. He was going to tell people, the bar is set high because I'm the standard. And I know you can't reach that bar. The only way you can reach that bar is through faith in me. And Jesus, he was going to be setting that bar high no matter who was listening. And this is why I think Jesus is funny. I think Jesus is funny here because if you look at the beginning of this passage and you think, there's large crowds traveling with Jesus. And then Jesus, he, he don't care if there's disciples, non-disciples, sinners, whatever. He's going to say, this is how you follow me. Then you even look after this in verse 15, 1, right, right at the end of this section, it says tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. He don't care if there's tax collectors and sinners. I just imagine if I'm in that back row, I'm one of the tax collectors and sinners, which is where I would be, and I hear Jesus say, this is how you follow me. And then he'd hear a <coughs> in the back row. You think me being nervous and coughing in the back row would have Jesus take that high bar and lower it down for me because I'm being a big wuss? No, not at all. In fact, he would probably look at me and he'd say, good. Now you know the cost to follow me. Now you understand how to follow me. And the disciples, they understood the cost, and they couldn't wait. They were chomping at the bit. They say, Jesus, look, laced up tight. Get me in the game, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready to serve you, Jesus. And so now, what I want to do is I want to go through Luke 14 one more time. As we go through this passage together, I want you to picture yourself as one of the disciples that has just seen the risen Lord. And now you can't wait to do these things. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus, I can't believe I get to be your follower and put you first. Jesus, help me to put you so far ahead of anyone and everything else. You have my supreme allegiance. You are my number one priority. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you, Jesus. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus, oh my gosh, I love you so much. I know your power is in me and I get my courage from you. I get my strength, Lord, to suffer for you. My God, it is an honor to suffer for you. It is an honor to carry my cross for you, Jesus. Jesus, it would be an honor to die for you, Jesus. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus, I know it could cost me everything, and I know it's going to be hard, but it was hardest for you first, Jesus. I know you went through it, and I know you'll give me what I need to go through it. You see, now it's all starting to make sense. When you see a man die and come back to life, you realize that ain't no man that died. 
you realize that is somebody who is 100% man and 100% God. And now it makes sense as to why Jesus would say this in verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus is building a movement here that changes eternity. Life and death are in the balance, and the only thing that matters is whether or not you follow Jesus. It's the most important movement in human history, and He wants you to be a part of that movement. And that's why He says, I want disciples. Listen to what He says, I need people to truly follow me. I don't need flavorless salt. I don't need half-built towers. I don't need people who aren't willing to carry their cross. I don't need people who aren't willing to put me first above everyone and everything else. I need people who are all in. I need people who are willing to lace them up tight. So the bar is set high for good reason. And we have every reason to follow Jesus. It all makes sense when you consider what he has done. So the question that I want to leave you with today is this. Will you lace them up tight? Will you put Jesus first? Will you carry your cross? Will you count the cost? And I know, I know that can be hard to hear. Almost heard somebody cough in the back row when I said it. <laughs> yes, the love of God is free. And yes, you can't earn salvation. But if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you've really received His love, then you've got to be willing to step up and go all in. Jesus is calling you to lace them up tight, and He's calling you to greater obedience than what we are currently living out. And for everyone in that room, that looks different. For some of you, you came in here today, you had no idea who Jesus was, and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But now you know. Now you know what Jesus has done. Now you know you've counted the cost. You're willing to carry the cross, and you're willing to put Him first in front of everybody and everything, and you can't wait to do it. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. There's some others of you that may have come in today. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. Maybe it's just been a short amount of time. But you're like, man, I've been sitting on the bench, and my laces haven't even been tied. But now I'm ready. I'm ready to get in the game. I'm ready to lace them up tight. I'm ready to do work. If that's you, my encouragement for you today, sign up for Rooted. Sign up for Rooted. Sign up for the tool that will help you do these things on a daily basis, an everyday rhythm of life. Sign up for Rooted. But the question to all of us is the same. Jesus is calling us to a high bar. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but it is worth it. So the question is, will you lace them up tight? Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the hard work you did on the cross and bringing yourself back to life so we no longer have to be separated from you. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today's the day you want to go all in and place your faith in Jesus, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three.
Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Father, thank you for those decisions, Father. Now, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, if today is the day you're saying, Jesus, I've been on the sideline, but now I'm ready to get back in the game. I want you to help me do this on a daily basis. Father, I want to sign up for Rooted. Help me to do that. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Hands down. Father, thank you for your love. Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.